Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's December 8th, 1845, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. The Irish potato famine is now widely understood as an avoidable catastrophe that killed over one million people through mass starvation. But today in history, in 1845, it was an excuse to swap recipes for Whig MP the Duke of Norfolk, who rose to his feet at a dinner marking the conclusion of the local fat stock show, the optics weren't great even then, to propose a novel solution for feeding starving Irish workers, curry powder soup. Yeah, as reported in the London Illustrated News, the Duke told his audience he had received a letter from a lady who had given her labourers an exciting new condiment, although he acknowledged that, quote, there was at first a great difficulty in getting them to take it. He continued, in India, a vast portion of the population use it. In fact, it is there to them what potatoes are in Ireland. I mean, curry powder. This was apparently met with gales of laughter. And he described curry powder for the audience, for those who may not have partaken, as being made of cayenne pepper and hot spices of different descriptions, adding that he, for one, thought it was a pleasant thing to mix with rice. (laughs) I mean, the obvious thing that he was missing in proposing it as the solution rather than rice was that it was rice that was nourishing all of India and not the like curry that they were putting on it. But yeah, he said uh, in this speech, he said, if a man came home wet and cold and had nothing better than warm water, a little of this spice put into it would make him go warmer and more comfortably to bed than he would without it. I mean to try it among my labourers, he said, <laughs> kind of really highlighting, as you said, Ollie, the fact that this was so remote to him, you know, the, the, this Tory MP, not realising the severity of what was being faced over in Ireland at the time. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, looking at it from a Whig MP's point of view in 1845, this is before it got really bad. I mean, what made the potato famine beyond a crisis and into an epidemic, really, was when the crop in Ireland failed not just for one year, but for consecutive years. But uh, at least in 1845, even though it was obvious to anyone who's paying attention that famine in Ireland was imminent, um, I suppose you hadn't actually seen that happen yet. And so, you know, he thought he was digging in with something that he'd learned. You know, he, he, he heard laughter in the room and continued defensively. I may be ridiculed hereafter for what I say, but as I said before, I don't care what he said so long as I make the poor comfortable. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was obviously extremely out of touch. And it's easy to assume that this was the act of an Anglican aristocrat with little concern for Irish farmers. But what makes it slightly more complicated is that the Duke of Norfolk was a Catholic himself. And it appears that he was sincere in his desire to alleviate the suffering of of the poor in Ireland. But he was just wildly ignorant, you know, and grossly misinformed about the nutritional powers of curry powder, which the spectator later pointed out. They said that his suggestion for the starving Irish 
was, quote, entirely overlooking the rice, noting that this compound of white ginger, coriander seed and cayenne pepper must sorely try the naked surface of human stomach. Yeah, the Times predicted that the Duke would go down to posterity with a pinch of curry powder in his hand. The examiner uh, (laughs) said uh, sarcastically that pepper could be a good substitute because there is the idea of luxury in the name curry, they said, which might startle many frugal minds. There was another amusing bit in the spectator's comment on the piece, which was that uh, the editor said, in the name of charity, my Lord Duke, give the poor devils brandy. You know, they were already anticipating how badly this would go down in Ireland and how this very much was not the uh, balm for their woes. Yeah, but that satire and what the Duke said was, as you say, ill-informed and foolish and naive... But it wasn't cruel. What's Mm. interesting about this example is that, yeah, he never lived this down. I mean, for years afterwards, politicians canvassing in election meetings or debating corn law reform had their speeches interrupted by shouts of curry powder. Um, (laughs) But he wasn't trying to be mean-spirited, but other people in the landed gentry in England absolutely were. I mean, Mm. here's the Duke of Cambridge in January 1846, quote, rotten potatoes and seaweed, or even grass properly mixed, afforded a very wholesome and nutritious food. All knew that Irishmen could live upon anything, and there was plenty of grass in the field, though the potato crop should fail. I mean, that is seeing the people of Ireland who the Duke was talking about as sort of a subhuman species, really, which is not what he was doing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's become a bit of a popular history trope that Ireland's British overlords didn't care about the famine or try to alleviate it, which isn't a completely accurate picture, and we'll kind of get into what they did try to do. But some of them were, you know, pure evil. Charles Trevelyan, who was the man the government put in charge of their response to the famine, wrote to one of his peers that the judgment of God sent the calamity to teach the Irish a lesson. And this was the person supposed to be relieving the suffering in Ireland, you know, and you had people like the Earl of Lucan, who evicted thousands of people from his land in Ireland to avoid responsibility for them. He believed that the land in Ireland wasn't sufficient to support the population. So basically, he just thought the population should be culled. Because although Parliament had repealed the Corn Laws, which is the protectionist tariffs on imported corn, the landowners in Ireland were the ones who were supposed to be taking advantage of this to feed their tenants. It wasn't supposed to be used so that the British government would purchase large amounts of food and distribute it in Ireland because they knew that would be unpopular with taxpayers. It was supposed to be down to the British landowners, but they weren't taking advantage of it because it was easier for them to just deny any responsibility for the tenants who actually lived on their land. At first, British Prime Minister Robert Peel dismissed the reports of the potato crop failure, but he quickly got wise to what was going on and he did eventually accept the grim reality of the potential for famine. But his response to repeal taxes on grain imports to lower the price of bread just really misunderstood the fact that those at risk of starvation in Ireland really couldn't afford bread at any price. And simultaneously, they had these massive uh, works projects that were put in place to try to put people who uh, were otherwise meant to be working on fields to work on these big infrastructure projects and ended up with these sort of roads to nowhere. And simultaneously, you know, Britain continued to export food from Ireland, despite the fact that people in Ireland were actually beginning to starve to death themselves. Yeah, half the Irish population, four million people, depended on potatoes as their main food. They had a little fish or milk as their only other food source. So then being asked to work their way through it, and literally, as you say, sort of die doing so, compounded the problem. What the British government did do, 
I mean, actually, not so far removed <laughs> from what the Duke proposed on this day is create soup kitchens, mm. um, but with something rather more nutritious than curry powder. Uh, Sawyer's soup, as it came to be known, because it was devised by Alexis Soyer, the uh, French chef from the Savoy Hotel. I will make it with truffle and foie gras. Do they have <laughs> yeah. truffle and foie gras? <laughs> Sadly not. It was uh, drippings of uh, unknown heritage. And we actually don't know what was in this stuff, but mm. probably beef stock. And that did do the job for that first year of keeping a lot of people alive. You know, it got to 1846 and the attitude of the British government was, well, we've done our bit. Mm. Yeah, one factor that worsened the situation was that money itself was quite rare in the Irish countryside. There wasn't really a cash economy. Most families lived off their own produce and then used the surplus to barter any additional food or other goods that they needed from their neighbours. So potatoes being that core crop, it meant the famine not only wiped out their staple food source, but also their means to buy anything else. So flooding the country with money wouldn't have actually brought any relief. That was kind of the problem was that the whole economy in the countryside was based around potatoes. And then when winter set in of 1845 into 1846, the starvation was joined by deaths from cold. You had outbreaks of cholera and other diseases. Then you had this grim picture of bodies littering the roadside, displaced people from the country roaming the towns and villages, you know, in that desperate search for food. And because the British government was so opposed to any solutions that would cost the taxpayer a lot of money, they had brought in, as you mentioned, this work scheme to kind of give the voters the impression that the Irish being made to work for their relief but visitors described what a ghoulish scene it was seeing all of these starving people being made to do heavy labor like road building and you know not really even being able to hold up the tools it was all just theater so that the voters at home could be told that they weren't being given a handout also the maze that prime minister peel ordered to be brought to the country a didn't arrive promptly it didn't really get there until february 1846 but also the maize came with these very tough kernels that needed to be really laboriously ground down in mills before distribution and also required a really lengthy cooking process to make them edible and because of this and their yellow color locals named it peel's brimstone and so bread prices stayed high people were getting more and more malnourished i mean people use emotional words now like genocide Side to describe the British attitude to lack of organised assistance. And that's maybe a bit strong because clearly there were people whose intention was to try to do something and evaluate what it should be and they spent so long evaluating that lots of people died in the meantime. But, you know, it's clear that the issue really came down to the fact that Ireland was being governed from Britain and a lot of British people didn't like the Irish. I mean, it's all okay now, of course, because in 1997, Tony Blair apologised, which does feel just a little bit too late. I don't know. (laughs) I told you they were getting round to it. It just took 140 (laughs) years. And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.